This is Banished and I'm Amna Khalid. On our previous episode, I spoke with Professors Rebecca Chuvel and Daniel Cullen, who invited the bioethicist Peter Singer to speak at Rhodes College where they teach. Singer's views on disability and other topics are controversial, so it wasn't at all surprising when a number of students and faculty called for the webinar to be cancelled. What was surprising, however, was the explosion of vitriol and personal attacks against Tuvel and Cullen when they refused. In the past few days, news broke of a similar story right here in my own backyard of Minnesota. Edmund Santuri, director of St. Olaf College's Institute for Freedom and Community, invited, wait for it, Peter Singer for a virtual conversation titled The Point of View of the Universe. St. Olaf's Disability Office immediately sent out a campus-wide email saying that it, quote, unequivocally rejects Peter Singer's views on people with disabilities, which are harmful to our values, mission, and ongoing efforts to provide an inclusive environment for our students, faculty, and staff. Santuri, like Tuvel and Cullen, stood by his invitation to Singer, and the event proceeded as originally planned. But just a few weeks ago, he was told that his appointment as director to the Institute, which was due to run until August 2023, had been rescinded. I recently met up with Santuri in person and asked him first what he thinks led to his termination as director. This has something to do with the fact that under my leadership, Mm -hmm. there was an event last February, public event sponsored by the Institute that included Peter Singer, a very important philosopher, but controversial in many respects. The announcement of that event created a kind of reaction, hostile reaction. And I think that in some important way, the rescinding of my appointment had something to do with that hostile reaction. Right. So this poses an interesting question about, you know, the nature of the Institute itself. To my understanding, as someone who is across the river from you at Carlton College, your Institute has been doing phenomenal work of bringing people to campus to talk about unorthodox views. And as I was reading the mission statement of your Institute, I was struck that that is one of the express goals is to have civil dialogue and to to bring in controversial speakers. So tell me why exactly Peter Singer's presence on campus became such a sticking point. Just to characterize Peter Singer generally first, as anyone who knows anything about philosophy and Peter Singer, uh, they would know that Peter Singer is one of the most influential philosophers in the world right now. Mm -hmm. An important voice for things like animal rights, a redistribution of wealth internationally, and any number of other things. But in certain moments, he pushes the envelope a bit. And he pushes the envelope a bit on the issue of disability. Mm -hmm. And to some degree, he has elicited negative reaction from various members of the disability community. And that is what prompted the hostile reaction to the announcement of the event at St. Olaf College. So it's interesting that we're having this conversation right after the episode about Peter Singer's invitation to Rhodes College on Banished has aired. 
because we had a very similar situation there yes. where faculty and students were up in arms about an invitation that was extended to him. And in that case, he was actually not even going to talk about disability rights. The topic was quite different. And I believe for your invitation, the topic was also quite different. It was not about disability yeah, rights. As a matter of fact, when we were discussing with Peter the topics that we wanted to have at the center of our conversation, he did not want the disability issue to be at the center because he thought it would be a distraction from law larger issues that he was interested in. And so we had settled on the central theme of his philosophy that he's articulated and he borrowed from a very important 19th century British utilitarian philosopher, Henry Sidgwick, this idea of the point of view of the universe. And the point of the conversation was to explore what in his philosophy was implied by that principle as a point of departure. Now, we didn't mean to necessarily to steer the conversation away from the disability issue. That was some of what we were going to talk about. We also wanted to talk about what he calls effective altruism, what's involved in our moral obligations to persons on the other side of the world who are not living as well as we do. So that's what he means by effective strategies for remediating that in some sense, what he means by effective altruism. But also, I mean, he has been a prophetic figure on the animal rights movement. If anyone knows anything about the development of the animal rights movement, say, beginning in the 1970s. I mean, he is a crucial figure. And so how does that relate to this larger principle of the point of view of the universe? And so that was the announced topic of the event. Nonetheless, persons uh, in the St. Olaf community who had some sense of his controversial standing within the disability community or from the perspective of the disability community began raising objections even before he got here at St. Olaf. And that constituted the problem that we're talking about here. Okay, so let me just ask you a quick question. Was this just students or was the pushback coming from students and faculty or was it coming from students, faculty and the administration? It started with students. Mm -hmm. And this concern on the part of students was spilling over into various administrative offices. So for example, the disability offices mm -hmm. at St. Olaf College. The administration of the college became aware of the controversial character, and some parents of students with disabilities were beginning to communicate with me and the college. And so we were getting very quickly articulations of concerns from many, many different directions, but it started with students. Right. And can I ask you to explain what was the response of the administration? There were expressions of concern mm -hmm. from a number of levels of the administration, president, mm -hmm. regents, suggesting that maybe having Peter Singer was not the best idea. So I want to dig in a little bit further. The concern I imagine, and from what I've read from the St. Olaf newsletter when the students were protesting, was that this is akin to an endorsement of Peter Singer's views and we should not give him a platform, something we've heard quite often on many college campuses. Sure. But just to kind of push this a little bit further, the idea of the Institute is to bring in people with unorthodox views and to push them on it, which you did. I watched the event and I saw you question. And I also think it's worth noting that some of the first questions that were asked from the audience were from students and other members who expressly pushed him on the issue of the right to life, 
on his idea of speciesism. So some of the more controversial sure. things. So sure. plenty of opportunity to engage with his controversy. Sure, and that's the idea of the Institute. When we bring on a speaker, the point is not to promote or advocate that point of view, but engage in a conversation with the person, including putting critical questions to the position that that person is advancing. And in the case of this Singer event, it seems to me we did that very well. I felt that when it was happening. I felt that in the responses I got after the event for people who did attend the event. And quite frankly, most of the people at any rate who saw the event and commented to me on the event raised questions about what, what was the problem exactly? Why were people concerned about this? This guy seems so reasonable, articulate, patient, civil in expressing his position. So people were puzzled by the reaction. Actually, when the event was over, I kind of had the sense that things went well and, you know, whatever concerns there were that were expressed ahead of time were probably abated Mm -hmm. in some measure by the actual performance of Peter Singer. But it seems that that was not the case. Your personal views, this bears mentioning, you've written critiques of Singer's views. And I'd like you to tell our audience a little bit about the kinds of topics you've taken issue with, with Singer. So this is definitely not a situation where you're bringing in someone you agree with wholeheartedly. No, no. As a matter of fact, I'm a teacher of both philosophical and theological ethics. And I've been here at St. Olaf College teaching this subject for over 40 years. I have used the moral philosophy of Peter Singer because it's a remarkable pedagogical tool for getting students to reflect upon presuppositions that they have that are just taken for granted. He is pushing the envelope in various ways in different moments, and it gets them to think about why they believe what they do and what they might say in response to Peter Singer. I've been dealing with Peter Singer's philosophy for over 40 years. I've been teaching the stuff, again, not in the way of advocacy, but in the way of comparative assessment of different moral and normative points of view. With respect to my own scholarly work, in the early 90s, I published a piece which was an attempt to defend the idea that human beings with profound cognitive disabilities had equal standing in the moral community over and against positions like Peter Singer's. He wasn't the only person I criticized. And by the way, on that matter, he is not alone in the philosophical world in adopting that kind of position. So yeah, my inviting Peter Singer, and by the way, it's not just my invitation. At St. Olaf College, the director of the Institute for Freedom and Community does call the shots finally on the programming. That's the way the position is defined. But I am required to consult with the so-called director's council that's associated with the Institute. This is a group of faculty who are appointed by the president of the college. Now, I will admit that I have recommended who ought to be appointed, and the president has usually followed my recommendations on those matters. But we brought this proposal to bring Singer. We had a large discussion about it. We acknowledged the fact that he did have trouble at Rhodes College and places like that with members of the disability community. And people said, that's, well, I didn't think there was any issue with that, given his standing in the philosophical world. 
As a matter of fact, when I went into the meeting with the director, I don't want to out anybody in the director's council <laughs> in particular, but I was not quite sure, you know, we should do this. And I brought it in and there was a discussion. There were people pushing pretty hard saying, well, no, precisely because he's as controversial as he is, we ought to have him as a guest of the Institute. That's the whole idea of the Institute, to bring in perspectives that are not typically considered in the college environment in which we are operating. Which is sadly not considered because that's what the college environment ought to be. Of about. course, of course. And to be honest, that's why there is the Institute for Freedom and Community at St. Olaf College. It was instituted precisely because there is this perception that colleges and universities in America today lean in a particular direction mm -hmm. and do not take into account certain points of view and that in the spirit of academic freedom, in the spirit of intellectual diversity, the kind of intellectual diversity one needs to be open to, mm -hmm. if you're really serious about free and open inquiry, right? you need to be bringing in people like this. And that's why we have the Institute. So in inviting somebody like Peter Singer, the Institute was doing precisely what it was charged to do. Would you read out to me the mission statement of the Institute and then perhaps reflect a little bit on the history of the Institute, when it was founded, why it was founded. I believe you've been the director of it since 2016. That's right. De facto, since 2016-17, I've been the director. Right. And the Institute itself was founded in 2014, I think. That's right. Okay. So would you read us? Yeah, sure. The here's, here's the mission statement. The, the purpose of the Institute is to shape America's future by educating students with a passion for public affairs and a commitment to free inquiry and the search for truth, exploring diverse ideas about politics, markets, and society. The Institute seeks to challenge presuppositions, question easy answers, and foster constructive dialogue. And some specifications of that given in our goals to support free inquiry and free and spirited expression where students with diverse points of view and values can study, discuss, and debate political and social issues in a respectful environment, to emphasize discussion and deliberation, challenging students to think critically and carefully about their own assumptions by examining topics from diverse cultural and ideological perspectives, to foster an environment of civil and respectful disagreement in which all students are encouraged to share their ideas regardless of how unpopular their ideas may be. And there are other things in our mission statement that would elaborate on that, but that gives you a sense of what the purpose of the Institute is. So to put it very bluntly, you are being let go off as the director of the Institute for doing your job. I would say that's a reasonable interpretation of what has happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This isn't the first time I've heard people express some dismay about the kinds of people who are invited at the Institute at St. Olaf. Sure. And frankly, I've personally found the range of people you've invited excellent. And I've seen some Thank you. brilliant debates being modeled, the kind that I feel we need to be modeling for our students because our students no longer sure. know how to do that, in part because the faculty have failed to model it. So I'll, I'll take part. Yeah, well, sure. But the Institute has been such a breath of fresh air for that reason. So Thank perhaps you. you could tell us a little bit about some earlier controversies or objections that have happened and what those were about. Now, the first big controversy was when the Institute decided to support the college Republicans on campus mm -hmm. 
who wanted to bring in a particular speaker, and it was Heather McDonald. Mm -hmm. Heather McDonald is associated with the Manhattan Institute. That's, of course, a conservative institute. But there was quite a bit of protest, mm -hmm. mainly generated by faculty, about that. You may know that Heather McDonald published a book, uh, I think it was entitled The Diversity Delusion. Yes. She's very, very critical of college policies that encourage diversity of a certain kind. And so that was what elicited the reaction. And that was a very, very difficult moment for me because I was castigated in all kinds of ways. The Institute was castigated in all kinds of ways. That was a very difficult moment. I think that was in that might have been in spring of 2019. I think uh, it was. Yeah, yeah, right. Another, it was a year ago, we invited Barry Weiss. She's a former columnist for the New York Times. We were bringing her in because she's also published a book on anti-Semitism, and we wanted to talk to her about anti-Semitism. She's also pro-Israel. That wasn't the reason for bringing her in, even though, as a matter of fact, when she talks about anti-Semitism, she does connect that in various ways and accounts of attitudes toward Israel. There were pro-Palestinian groups on campus who were quite upset about this and claimed that we had scheduled her at a time which was insensitive given certain scheduling, having to do with recognizing Palestinian rights. But that was simply false. We weren't scheduling her at that time for that reason. It was just inadvertent. And we couldn't keep the posters up on campus. They were torn down systematically. But again, a very, very difficult moment for the Institute. Protest and students protesting is fine. That's their right, and we encourage that kind of engagement. Right. But it is the call for disinvitation, the kind of heckler's veto kind of way of scuttling a conversation, which are the things that you're objecting to. Am I correct? That's, that's absolutely right. And among the things that I had to deal with was a very difficult email that was sent to me, castigating me as a... Um, shill for Zionism or something like that. It said, Santuri, you and your institute are a sham. Third moment that was difficult. We had scheduled in the fall of 2020, Andrew Sullivan. You know, I take it about some of the controversies yes. that have surrounded Andrew Sullivan. He's a rather remarkable figure in all kinds of ways. I mean, here he is. He's a gay man, but a Catholic, conservative in some sense, but extraordinarily progressive in others. So very, very interesting person in that regard. And probably the most important figure, I think, in American culture for moving the culture in the direction of marriage equality. Yes. You know, it's so incredibly important figure. However, he has gotten into trouble because he has said something to the effect of the empirical evidence, as far as he can tell, the empirical evidence with respect to connections between IQ, race, and all that sort of thing, he's just indeterminate. There's not enough evidence to draw any substantial conclusions from the evidence that's out there. And he's, that has been characterized as racist because in principle then, presumably he is open to hearing that there might be some kind of empirical claims about such things that are troublesome. We invited him in because he had a real interesting piece for the intelligencer um, where he said, look, you know, whatever the controversies on the matter that he's, for example, gotten in trouble with, how should the culture be disposed to be talking about these things? There should be openness to talking about it. But then at one point, let's say we get some communications from on high saying, have you really thought about what might happen in bringing Andrew Sullivan here? Campus might explode. Are you willing to sort of live with that as a consequence and so forth? And uh, I have to confess, I brought it to the director's council. There was sort of division in the house about what to do. 
in those circumstances. I talked to other people that I trusted about these matters, and I did decide to cancel the event. And I have to say, if there's one thing that I have regretted mm -hmm. as director of the Institute, it is that. I think in retrospect, I made a mistake in canceling it. Now, Tell us why. Why do you think you made a mistake? Well, because I think that at colleges, universities, and an institute that's devoted to the principles that we've articulated here today, the burden of proof is on exclusion. And I don't think that burden really was borne adequately by the argument to cancel the event. I mean, I think there were worries coming after George Floyd in the summer. Of course, that was a very, very difficult time in, in the country. Sure. Uh, and that was showing itself in all kinds of ways at St. Olive too. But I don't think that that kind of invitation should be suspended for anything short of conditions of emergency. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the conditions of emergency in retrospect, were there. Even though I think it's fair to say that the majority of sentiment of the people that I consulted probably said to me, well, you know, why don't you just back off? But part of it was, Ed, it's not worth it for you. <laughs> you know, yeah, This is a really good point, right? So many times we are kind of navigating this and the only issue that is on the table isn't just what's the right thing to do, it's the cost of doing the right thing. Right. And sometimes it's just the the drudgery of pushing a point can can be too much. Right. So tell me a little bit. You, it, these are not the only kinds of people you've invited right now because the ones that have become controversial tend to be on the right of the political spectrum. You've invited others. We need to mention that Peter Singer is hardly a right winger. Yes, I mean, of course. No. Whatever one might want to say about the disability question, he's lefty yeah. uh, when it comes to redistribution of wealth, when it comes to animal rights. And he's the patron oh, saint of veganism and exactly. effective yeah. altruism. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it, it's so anyone that characterizes the Institute as sort of in the pocket of the right wingers, and we do get that characterization, it's unfair, ought to be arrested by the fact that here <laughs> Peter Singer has become a problem. Some of the people you've invited have been people who I think, you know, John McWhorter is a liberal. He is obviously unorthodox in that he is saying things that people don't expect black bodies to be saying these days. Right. But he's far from conservative, even though he's characterized by, as such by some. And then right. you had an event on the 1619 project. That's right. Inviting Leslie Harris. That's right. Who contributed to the project, who I remember wrote a piece in Politico where she said, you know, she helped fact check the project. There were some problems, but she was still defending the sure, project. Sure, sure stood against the kinds of critiques that were coming towards the project. Right. Anyone who looked at our programming writ large would say, this is wide-ranging uh, ideological perspectives that are being represented here. And that, keep in mind too, we're not just bringing people in to give speeches. We are bringing people into a conversation. And in every case in our conversations, at one point I will say something like, I'm going to do a devil's advocate question now yeah. and press a certain kind of line of inquiry, which is pretty, pretty aggressive, I think, as a, offering a kind of critical perspective. And just about everybody who watches the events thoughtfully and reports back on their experience in watching the events will say 
these have been pretty remarkable events. It's hard for me to say that because it sounds like I'm bragging and I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is we get a lot of criticism and the public discourse doesn't always acknowledge the good things that we have done. No, and I'll, I'll be witness to the fact that I've been to a number of events and they've been fantastic. And I even the ones that I haven't been to, I've watched a number of Zoom recordings of them and they've been very well done indeed. Thank you. Um, this conversation is coming hot on the heels of FIRE and Academic Freedom Alliance having made a statement on your behalf that this was a violation of academic freedom. And to my mind, it's even more troubling when it's an institute that's dedicated to these kinds of conversations. So would you reflect a little bit on the kind of larger trends that we're seeing in American higher education today and how administrations are for the lack of a better word, I feel like buckling in the face of pressure. The one thing that I keep hearing, which I find troubling, is the idea that, for example, in principle, Peter Singer is okay, but now's not the time. Hmm. In principle, John McWhorter is okay, but now's not the time. In principle, a conversation about 1619 Project is okay, but now is not the time. In principle, maybe Andrew Sullivan would be okay, but now is not the time. And this I find very troubling because, you know, one wants to ask at that point, well, when will be the time? How will we know that the time has arrived? And I'm reminded here of what the great 20th century Christian social ethicist Reinhold Niebuhr mm -hmm. said once, he says that the kingdom of God is always coming, but it never gets here. The other thing that comes to mind as I'm talking about this is something that Alice Drager said to me within the past two or three weeks as I've been in conversation with her about things. By the way, a, one of my great heroines, I mean, she's just a remarkable person. And she said something to the effect, if you have to ask, whether now is the time, then the time is now. And that observation has really stuck with me the last three weeks. In principle, this is okay, but now is not the time is a too easy concession to experience, where now is not the time means it's just not real convenient. Mm. We need to be doing some things now and we don't need to hear students complaining about X, Y, or Z, or we don't need to hear faculty complaining about X, Y, or Z. And, that, you know, for me, faculty complaining, student complaining in some sense is going to be part of the territory of an open environment where you are addressing controversial issues and you're entertaining controversial perspectives. And that if a college can't absorb that, as long as we're not under conditions of emergency, yeah. right? martial law, you know, that sort of stuff. If a college can't absorb that, it's hard for me to see that a college is doing or a university is doing what it's supposed to be doing. I worry for the future of academic freedom. And Ed, don't take this the wrong way. You're close to retirement. This is not going to impact your life or your learning. But the people who it shortchanges is our students and the next generation. And they're the ones who are going to bear the brunt of this loss. And I can imagine a day when they'll look back at, you know, people like us and say, well, you, you failed. Yes, I am close to retirement. And the easiest thing for me would have been to accept the various kinds of incentives that were offered to me to walk on, 
-hmm. just forget about this. It is because I am concerned about the future of higher education and what comes after me that I have decided not to buckle at this moment. I don't want to present myself as some kind of hero because I'm not. I'm not a hero, but I am concerned. I love St. Olaf College. It gave me my career over 40 years ago. I've had a career here and it's been a wonderful career. And I've loved teaching the students and I've loved my colleagues and I've largely loved what I have done. The last few years have been tough. Ever since I became director of the Institute, it's been very tough. It's been tough on me. It's been tough on my family. And a couple of times I have walked into the president's office and said, I'm out, I'm sick of it. And I was begged to stay. And I did stay on, not just because I was begged, but because I believe in what the Institute is about and what it represents. I really believe it. And so I'm continuing in some sense, I don't want to say the fight, I'm continuing the tough conversation because I'm concerned about Olaf, because I'm concerned about academic freedom and intellectual diversity, because I'm concerned about higher education. Is there anything else you would like to say that we haven't covered? I want to thank all the people who have supported me in this difficult time. They know who they are. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Edmund Santuri is Professor of Philosophy and Religion at St. Olaf College. If you enjoy what you've heard here today and would like more discussions about cancel culture, censorship, and freedom of inquiry, please consider becoming a member at banish.substack.com. You'll get access to bonus segments, written columns, and special episodes. More importantly, you'll be supporting the work we do here at Booksmart Studios. Don't forget to rate and share Banished on whichever platform you listen, and do please leave a comment so we know what you think. Our success here at Booksmart Studios depends as much on you as on us. Banished is produced by Matthew Schwartz and Mike Vuolo, and I, as always, am Amna Khaled. Toodaloo!